0: Podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey back in Hollands and travel with portable speakers playing Bas Gas. I wish I had a million pounds I wish I had a million problems. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all of a million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like beefy man. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this ball had water in it. These kids are spillin' all my penis Focused on my wealth You can help me wish But I would rather wish the help us like, like I wish, I wish Every time we love and it feels, like I wish, I wish, we it, it feels just like this I wish, I wish Every time we do it, it feels just like this I wish, I wish Every time we love and it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels like this I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew up my lime bean I wish that I could spread my wings, yeah. I wish that I had seven limbs yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things I wish I spoke fluent Spanish, dímelo, dímelo, at least I kinda understand it <laughs> I wish that I could throw the deuce like gambit And get so large I could play pool with the planets yeah. I wish I was an astronaut I wish I knew more classic rock <laughs> Focused on myself Can't help me wish but I would rather wish for help It's like it's like. I wish, I wish and Every time we love it it feels just like this like, I wish, I wish and Every time we do it it feels just like this, like, this. Like, I wish, I wish. Every time we move, in, it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It just, it's just—it's like like who the donkey. We some
1: dumb shit into something that got everybody. Hello, cats and kittens. kittens. And we're back with another episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray. And I really enjoyed today's episode. I got to say, getting back to doing some of the kinds of deep dives where I get to take the time and read someone's book and it happens to line up with a current event. And I, you know, it feels so much more substantive than so much of the content creation that gets made. Once again, I so appreciate so many of you who our patrons to the podcast and enable things like this to happen of course this is a free episode so everyone should check it out wherever you catch podcasts or you can watch the episode in full over on bad faith youtube but don't forget to subscribe to that channel you know i would really like to have a hundred thousand subscribers not for any reason i don't make any money off of youtube or anything i just want one of those plaques so been hovering <laughs> around 70 something for a while and it just kind of feels like I should have a plaque. So if you want me to have a plaque for my birthday, which is many months off, consider subscribing to Bad Faith YouTube if you haven't done so already. Now, this week I spoke to Corey Robin, who quite literally wrote the book on Clarence Thomas, his book, The Enigma of Clarence Thomas has been sitting on my bookshelf for quite some time. I didn't crack into it until we got into this episode. And what I was fascinated by was one, the premise, which is that Clarence Thomas could accurately be described as a black nationalist, and we can get into that some more what exactly that means. And two, Tying it into this um, ongoing ProPublica scandal about which there has been a new revelation this just afternoon, which we can update uh, ourselves about in a second. Um, but tying it into the ProPublica story, which is, does it really matter? You know, how how you know upset and bent out of shape should we be about the revelation that he has had this longtime relationship with Harlan Crow, this real estate mogul billionaire who's taken him on these $500,000 yacht trips um, passed out matching T-shirts on these annual or semi-annual vacations they do together. Paid for much more private jet uh, travel than uh, than uh, Thomas would be required legally to disclose. Having not disclosed it, you know how how much you'd be invested in that as a scandal. The fact that Harlan Crow seems to be a rather uh, quirky dude, shall we say, who enjoys uh, collecting despot paraphernalia, including a lot of Nazi paraphernalia, including an autographed copy of Mein Kampf. Is that really a story, given what we already know about Clarence Thomas' attitudes toward corruption from his own jurisprudence, where he is one of the chief advancers of the idea that money is speech, and where in his own writing, he makes it clear that anything short of a quid pro quo explicit bribe, basically, isn't really corruption, that speaking through money, corporations speaking through their shareholders is is political speech, and political speech should not be curbed. Of course, not all speech is allowed, right? So just because you decide you think it's speech doesn't mean that it should be um, shouldn't be uh, reined in. But the idea being that he doesn't seem to see a a democracy undermining component of what it means that the very, very rich have more power to speak, to influence politics, and to advance their agenda than the rest of us. Um, So I also said last week uh, that I would give you more of an opportunity to keep asking questions about Monday's episode since there was a long queue when we wrapped. And I know it's a difficult subject, an interesting subject. I spoke with Aaron Reed, who is a trans activist who's been doing really important work tracking all of the anti-trans legislation coming down the pike. And we also got kind of, um, I don't know if you want to say sideline, but kind of stuck on uh, the, the question of what to do about... Um, a trans women in sports for a good chunk of that episode. And y'all had a bunch of questions about that as well. Quick update on the ProPublica story. I think this was uh, published just about an hour ago, also in ProPublica by Justin Elliott, Joshua Kaplan, and Alex Mirjeski. Titled billionaire Harlan Crow bought property from Clarence Thomas. The justice didn't, disclose the deal. I think the import here is that um, property, this this kind of gift is even more explicitly the type which um, Clarence Thomas would have been required to disclose. So in 2014, One of Harlan Crowe's companies purchased a string of properties on a quiet residential street in Savannah, Georgia. It wasn't a marquee acquisition for the real estate uh, magnate, the story says. Just an old single-story home in two vacant lots down the road. What made it noteworthy were the people on the other side of the deal, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his relatives, The transaction marks the first known instance of money flowing from the Republican megadonor to the Supreme Court justice. The Crow company bought the properties for one hundred and thirty three thousand three hundred and sixty three dollars from three co-owners, Thomas, his mother and the family of Thomas's late brother, according to a state tax document and a deed dated October 15th, 2014. The purchase put Crow in in an unusual position. He now owned the house where the justice's elderly mother was living. As soon after, uh, soon after the sale was completed, contractors began work on tens of thousands of dollars of improvements on the two-bedroom, one-bathroom home, which looks out onto a patch of orange trees, yada, yada, yada. A lot of other extraneous detail. Okay, so let's open it up. Nick, you're up first. What's on your mind this sunny afternoon?
2: Uh, I'm so sorry that you went through that entire, thorough, long preamble. I haven't listened to the Corey Robin episode yet. And uh, I'm also sorry about this, but I'm immediately making this about Monday's episode and immediately about sports
1: again. No one can escape. <laughs> sorry, I put myself on mute so I could take a drink. Yeah, no, it's okay. No need to apologize, Nick. I said that we could continue Monday's combo, and I meant it. So hit me.
2: Uh, I'm going to try to cover a couple of things and I'll try to make it fast, but, um, I'm just going to say definitively, you're familiar with the bank sisters. They defended you in that one, uh, mm-hmm. you know, dust up with, uh, whether or not you want to kiss Nazis, you know, but like, right. the, the point is I really enjoy their content and I think that their a special series on just kind of feminism in general, their coverage of like the vice feminism panel. Like, they have been completely instrumental in me making up my mind definitively on this whole issue. And and I understand that everybody's having a lot of fun dunking on Anna Kasperian, who I personally can't stand. But I kind of get where she's coming from, if only because... And I kind of feel the same way, which is, post the uh harassment and, like, physical assault of Riley Gaines, I kind of feel the same way in that, like... I, I feel like I've got to plant a flag over the level at which that like, I'm, whatever this movement has become, I'm not on board with it. If that's what it thinks is okay to do to somebody that's got a dissenting opinion, especially somebody that A, was a woman first, B, is established in this, C, had a trophy taken away in a special instance of it. And D, you know, it sucks that, like, this has become a folk hero and darling of the far right. But also, we've seen so many instances of, like, Juanita Broderick or, like, Tara Reid now, uh, you know, retweets Tucker Carlson. Like, it's not their fault that, you know, quote, unquote, the left has completely abandoned things like these, like, staking up for these women or free speech or truth. Like, we've had so many instances where we just had to kind of go along with whatever like the the tactic was like it's okay to lie about russia as long as it hurts donald trump it's okay to lie about uh vaccine side effects if it means that like ultimately people are quote unquote going to be healthier and better off like there there's a point at which where whatever the movement is becoming and the tactics that it's taking and the way that it's responding to even just like free speech or dissenting opinions like, I don't even care about, like, the science or the fairness aspect of it. To me, I just draw the line at, like, if a woman that was a woman said no, like, respect her, her, her opinion and move on. And, like, anybody that, like, and I've seen the argument that, like, well, tons of, you know, uh, uh, naturally born women are okay with it. And I don't exactly buy that if I've seen so many tactics of, like, forced coercion or, like, the uh, potential consequence of, like, being deplatformed, harassed hurt, removed from your job, like, that's not exactly, like, uh, you know, I, I don't exactly trust people coming to that honestly, seeing the level of backlash that I've seen for anybody that has a problem with it, even if it's, like, tepid or completely objectively understandable. And that's where I come from on the whole thing. And I don't need to even say anything else. That's pretty much, like, beginning and end of where I'm at with this.
1: Okay, Nick, so for one, with Anna Kasparian, she of course is allowed to identify as a woman and ask that people refer to her only as a woman i don't think there's any problem with that not it's a little bit it feels a little bit like me insisting that you know nobody nobody better call me a crocodile or i'm gonna be real mad and no one's calling me a crocodile so of course you know guys don't don't call me a crocodile but um it feels like you're kind of making something of something when out, you know, Anna Kasparian hasn't even alleged that she has gone to a doctor's office and seen the term birthing person. This has been going on for weeks now. And as far as I know, someone can correct me, not a single person, not a single time has she actually pointed to an instance of anybody forcing her to identify as birthing person or forcing her to say that she likes the term bir- birthing person. Just, just she, to clarify. Wait a mind. minute. Wait a minute. You, you went on for a while. So let me just address this one. She... Uh, about a month or so ago, in a clip that was recently um, re- dug up by uh, Eliami and others, gave a really compelling explanation for why gender, in, you know, inclusive inclusive terms like birthing person are used sometimes in specific context where someone might, who identifies as a man might be pregnant. And if you don't like that, that's fine. If you don't like that, people sometimes identify as the gender as the sex as a gender other than the sex that were assigned at birth you're allowed to have your private opinion i'm just not really sure what that has to do with anna Kasparian. but just for the record anna Kasparian identifies as a woman please blessed jesus only refer to her as a woman everyone if if i hear that you're somewhere referring to anna Kasparian as a birthing person gosh darn it i will be very upset with you respect her Well, that's
2: not exactly the thing that I I was trying to focus on. Maybe invoking that name wasn't the point. The point that I'm getting at, though, is that I understand whether or not, like, the particulars of that thing, and, of course, like, I don't think that she's coming from from any sort of real honest place, but I do understand the kind of need for certain people in media or representatives of, quote-unquote, the left to plant a flag over it and trying to see their, like, the most, like, path of least resistance... To start the discourse shifting in a different direction, that's what I see it as. Less okay. So. Well, the
1: second thing you brought up uh, was uh, Riley Gaines, who is a former college swimmer who says she was assaulted at an event opposing the inclusion of trans women in women's sports.
2: To be fair, so, there's video evidence. It's not. It's not a say. Like you can. Anyone can look at this for themselves.
1: I'm just. I'm literally reading the title of a CNN story. That was not me characterizing the event. The title of the CNN story that I pulled up when you were talking was former college swimmer says she was assaulted at an event opposing the inclusion of trans women in women's sports. Okay. Um, here's specifically what the article says. Just for in case people don't know what we're talking about, I'm just giving background. She says, quote, um, I was physically assaulted by one person. I was struck twice, both times hitting my shoulder uh, with the second strike grazing my face. This is what she told the CNN's Natasha Chen. The rest of the protesters goes on. This is the rest of the quote. The rest of the protesters just ambushed and cornered me before I was able to move out with the help of campus police. A video gains posted from the event showed her quickly moving while surrounded by security officers. A protest can be heard. Sh- a protester can be heard shouting trans rights or human rights, but the video is shaky and does not appear to show an assault. But let's take for granted. Let's just take her word for it. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Let's uh, let's go ahead and for the sake of this conversation, assume in her words that she was uh, struck twice, both times hitting my shoulder with a second strike, grazing my face. I haven't heard a single trans person. Now, tell me if I'm wrong, but I haven't heard a trans person, anyone representing the trans movement, say that they support female, you know, female swimmer, former swimmers or whatever, anybody being assaulted, attacked in any way. I think attacked is a little bit of a strong word, but assaulted in any way. So it's unclear to me what we're saying here. Are we saying if some black guy pushes an Asian American on the train tracks in New York that we're no longer gonna believe in Black Lives Matter? Like what exactly are we saying here? Who, who's responsible for this? And what is it? what are we saying we don't believe in or we're not on board with with respect to trans rights, generally speaking? Oh, did you accidentally next yourself, or did you intentionally next yourself? I'm not sure. If you you had something more to say, oh, okay, here we go, Nick. Um, Nick, are you with us? Nick? Okay, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm going to go ahead and, oh, Nick, can you unmute yourself?
2: Hi. Yeah, I'm back. Um, how do I put this? So here's here's the thing that I noticed. Uh, like like a day after I saw the footage of the Rayleigh Gaines thing, and I had no dog in this fight. I just saw it. I made up my mind for myself just because watching the entire. Like I don't know if you personally watched this footage yet.
1: Uh, no, I can play it in the background while you guys are talking.
2: Uh, um. And you can't get a lot from the actual sound, but watching it, the visual, it's pretty chilling and it's pretty haunting. It's a very confined space with what looks like a phalanx of, like, 20 or so people all screaming at this woman, like, filming herself, like, ultimately barricading herself in a room. And the story goes is that she felt, like, unsafe to come out for three hours, and at one point they were even, like, shouting for ransoms. And who knows... How serious that demand really was. But the point is, like, there's something very viscerally upsetting about watching that entire thing. And the, like, the grossest thing that I saw within a day is to just scrolling through YouTube, just out of nowhere, there's, and I don't follow TYT anymore, but there's a TYT video that characterizes the incident as quote unquote bigot gets karma. Like, and and I immediately, like, commented on it that, like, God, TYT, like, you can't break, like, culture war kayfabe even over this one. Like, there couldn't be a more cut-and-try example of something that is a incredibly, un like, not-at-all-okay response to somebody just using a public forum to say what they're upset or uncomfortable about. And... Like, even just watching her own testimony of her, like, personal experience in that locker room and, like, losing that trophy. Like, if she's doing it as an act for just, like, right-wing clicks and culture war points, then she deserves an Oscar. Like, w- w- seriously, like, witnessing the whole thing for yourself, I, I do think that it takes I- on a completely different I'm looking different at this footage,
1: and, and per the copy, I- I'm not trying to be funny, it's just, it's not clear I, it's not clear, I, not, and again, I'm not. You don't need to convince me. I'm willing, for the sake of this conversation, to fully accept Riley's version of events. But this video, I, I, I gotta say, I'm not seeing anything. Ch- I'm seeing shaky cell phone camera, mostly pointed at the ground as she's walking around. And I, again, I'm not disputing what she says happened, but this word "chilling." I'm not chilled. I just saw some sh- shaky. The video is not doing it for me. We just well, have a
2: different opinion a about the if video. You hear the audio too. I mean, I. Look, to to me, it was like, I'm, I'm not making this up. I mean, I'm not I, saying I, I you are. I'm just
1: saying I don't think it's chilling, but that's a difference of opinion. And maybe it's different with the audio. So here's I, what I, I, I'll ask you the same uh, question I'm again. I'm just
2: going to say one last thing. No, no, no. no. I
1: want to ask you this question. Assuming that these protesters at this school did something wrong, if we just grant that, I'm still yes. confused about what that's supposed to mean about whether you or I are invested in trans rights.
2: Because ultimately, if this is deemed as okay, this is something that, like... A watches,
1: who who is deeming it be. okay? <laughs> you saw some people on the internet... Who said, yeah, raw, get her, she's a bigot. I saw a lot of people saying that about any number of Nazis getting punched. Now, you know, you guys know that I have taken some heat on not being super enthusiastic about Nazi punching. I'm not going to stand up and argue against Nazi punching. That's like the smallest violin and I just don't care if a Nazi gets punched. But like, that's not my personal strategy for revolution. Talia and I had that out. That's fine. But I, I'm also not going to stand up and wring my hands a lot about someone, you know, I don't know if this woman is a trans woman. I don't. I don't know anything about her. If she simply is objecting, is is having concerns about the equity, equity, of having people with you know physical advantages. Um, because they were assigned male at birth, participating in sports and losing a hard-won trophy over it. I think that there's some legitimate concerns there, as we discussed in the episode. But if she's aligning with people who have gone much farther than that and who are passing legislation to severely restrict the rights of trans people to live their lives the way they want, I am against that, and that's bigoted, and I'm not a fan. So I, you tell me, but again, I'm, I'm really struggling to understand what what a handful of protesters at one event has to do with your attitude broadly toward trans rights
2: uh, i i don't even know where to begin with this brianna like if if you uh, the, look if, if you don't know anything about this then that's fine but like people should just deem that's wrong that's not okay no one should treat a woman like that for having a dissenting opinion that's if, if this is what the left is now and this is what we tacitly have to support to be part of it like I'm not on board that's not okay that's where a line should be drawn
3: that's So the you only don't, point you're that not a, you're so not a I will hang up I don't want
1: Okay but Nick you're saying that you don't want to be a leftist anymore because some people somewhere think it's okay to bully Riley Gaines Oh okay All right I gotta say for the record I'm also uncomfortable with the idea that like you shouldn't treat a woman that way as being weaponized um, you sh- if, you- if your standard is that people shouldn't be hit then say that people shouldn't be hit I particularly have a problem, race isn't a part of this but there is a way that particularly white women's vulnerabilities are weaponized to attack other groups including black women um, black, a black woman in Sakastra, the first people targeted by this kind of zealotry in the sports arena. And I'm not saying that, again, like, I think that there are some concerns about the equity. And whether or not people have been taking hormones for long enough, and if there's like metrics that are reasonable enough to close the advantage gap that people who are assigned male at birth, at birth tend to have physically. I think that's legitimate. People can talk about that. But using that as a Trojan horse for transphobia is not okay. And I think as a leftist, if we're talking about what leftist values should be, we should be more sensitive to whether or not that's actually happening and not aligning ourselves who very quite obviously have an agenda that is not our own, because of maybe some discrete issue, we think that there is a point being made. That's all I would say about that. All right. Um, Rika, I haven't seen you in the chat for a while. How are you doing? What's on your mind? Oh, for those of you who don't know, I call someone from the front, and then someone random from the middle to the end, et cetera, et cetera, to mix it up, then back to the front. All right, Rico. Hey,
4: what's on your mind? Hey, Brie. Um, I was just completely fascinated by today's episode, and really did not realize that we had a black nationalist in Supreme Court. <laughs> right. Like what? <laughs> what history was I learning and missed this and all my, um, you know, race, critical race theory conversations? Um, in undergrad, but anyways, um, I, yeah, the whole discussion around, uh, trans rights, it's so fascinating how it just like quickly devolves into, and this is not a critique of your podcast episode, Mm -hmm. but it is, it is just fascinating how it goes straight to, um, transports. Like it's just like almost constantly there because I think, that's, it's where this, the conservative ideal of preserving the status quo around, around gender categories being based on these um, sexual differences is so grounded. And that's and where they have the alliance of a lot of what we call radical feminists. So they feel like they have support there and they're seen as being like rational and reasonable but the science like even if you want to talk about the quote unquote advantages and disadvantages that across sexes the science clearly demonstrates that like there is variance biological variance and that the sex gender categories are not so neat as we've ascribed them so i feel like the to me i I'm, I'm just like i don't understand why they the right tends to get or the I guess conservative positions as I want to describe it tends to hold this position that like science is on their side when it's clearly like not like it's not I don't I don't understand where they think they can just kind of they they feel like they're owning the conversation by saying like oh if you're male you have at xy and if you're female you're xx it's like actually there's a whole spectrum of what that looks like actually men and women express all varying levels of testosterone and estrogen and I'm and i just baffled at like how how that doesn't even get brought up. Like that never that never comes up.
1: So Rika, I, I brought it up on Friday in my conversation with um my co host that day. You know, I was a history of science major and we talk about the long history of intersex people and like I'm very aware, you know that That being said, do you believe, do you believe that we should have women's sports, that there should be sex segregated sport opportunities for women?
4: I absolutely believe that we should have women and men's sports. And I am okay with the potential idea of having sex segregated sports. I don't think that's necessarily an issue. In my but, opinion,
1: But that, that being the Entirely. case, I mean, the reason that Republicans, conservatives keep coming to this is because we as a society, even you, you know, for your admission, understand the rationale between having by uh, of having sex segregated sports, not gender, because before you we were talking, there was a little bit of slippage between sex and gender. That's not right. Gender sex That's segregated right. sports. We have. But- but sex, sex segregated, segregated sports. That's right.
4: That's right. I think I think the basis for that sex segregation, though, is coming under challenge with the inc- of course of coming under challenge with the inclusion of trans people in sports, necessarily so. And I think we have to be more. Um, I think there's more due diligence around the basis of that that separation. Like, if it is going to be rooted in biology, then like show the biology. Like we we clearly and. I think the reality is, is that if you go down that route as you said in this podcast as it's been demonstrated cis women will inherently be excluded from that category because especially those who have higher levels of testosterone if you if you are doing the basis of it based on testosterone differences right well, so
1: but that's, that's a l- it's a little bit of a straw man rika because you know people even the, so? the even like the Olympics don't say it's just testosterone. There's a cluster of things that you can look at and metrics that people could go on that aren't just testosterone. Right, so but saying, that's, not what that's, not, that's not what people are arguing well, about. Well, who's the people? Who's, who's arguing that there should be a limit that's based strictly
4: on testosterone levels? I feel like that's exactly what TERFs are arguing. They're, they're arguing for that. They're arguing for the exclusion of trans women because they're not... testosterone they well, well, no, 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 TERFs
1: are arguing for the exclusion of trans women, period. They just don't want trans women in sports. <laughs> I don't think that there's Turks that are being like, Oh yes, hundred percent will allow trans women in sports if their testosterone levels are under no, certain. But that level. is
4: one that's one of their basis though. That is I, I what I'm saying is that if you are gonna have these biological metrics, like I don't I don't I per, like I personally the science is really clear that there is some advantage maintained by uh, trans women athletes competing in sports for mm-hmm. sure. But the question isn't about whether or not um, uh, we should allow for no... The the question is whether or not we should allow for no advantage or is there some advantage that is permissible within competitive sports? That's the question at hand.
1: And what do you think the answer to that question should be? Should there be some advantage allowed? I do.
4: We, We allow it. We already do. We actually already do. Like, if you're taller in some sports, you have an advantage. If you have, again more testosterone in certain sports, you have an advantage. If you have slight, it, it, there there is some permissible advantage. So in my opinion, I, I'm fine with the idea of diving into, for example, like all the various clusters, as you were saying, of ways in which or, or categories of which people can compete on the basis of those biological differences. But like, to say that there are just those differences and all of a sudden that eliminates any meaningful competition or it's it's an absurd amount of advantage. I think that's the part that's debatable. And what we've shown, or like what some scientists are exploring in the research is that yes, there is some advantage maintained, but it is not this obscene gross advantage that people are assuming it to be um, because trans women, if they're, if they've been, particularly if they've been on hormones, they're driving it's like a car, right, with a small engine and so it's outsized, right? So there's there's that difference there that is not gonna be so neatly accounted but, for. But
1: Rita, can't we look, if if someone can go from being a very mediocre male swimmer, a, a male identifying swimmer, you know, ranked number three hundred or whatever in the in their league or their, their division or the world or whatever it is, to going to being the number 6 ranked female swimmer to to claim that there's not a significant advantage there even even as you're getting slower even as your, your 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 lap times and stuff are getting slower your ability your your ranking your ability to compete relative to your peers is enormously higher it's difficult for me to square that with the idea that there is a there isn't more like a, a retained a significant retained advantage to having been born male assigned at birth.
4: Sure, I'm not saying again. I'm not saying there's no advantage. The question that still has to be borne out. We, that's just like, it, and it is going to be sport dependent, right? I, I'm Abri, I'm not arguing against the idea that there is no advantage. I, mm-hmm. I want to be very clear about that. Mm-hmm. The question is, and that's not in the. And the degree to which we should and how in the, in the protocols for how we go about um, preventing unfairness, right, has to be, you know, scrutinized and done with due diligence. I'm, like, for more research yeah. on that. I'm for, like... So then, what do you make, become, Rika,
1: of of aaron saying that she believes the standard should be oh, good I'm like faith? Oh, I am like
4: one hundred percent against that. I am one hundred percent against that. I, I, but that's where the turfs, in on an internet, like because there's there's one in particular. Her name is Kathleen Stock, and I actually agree with her on a lot of like philosophical points um around how we have to, we have to in a our society be cautious against self-identification as being the sole basis for which we're, you know, going around and creating and allowing for people to access certain spaces. Like I'm, I'm like totally in agreement with that. I don't know where I land in terms of like, I don't think that means that you should exclude services from people, yeah, of right, course. Period, you know? And I think that we also have a conversation about what it means to, you know, force people into spaces where they're also going to be subjects of harm if you right if they are male identified or male signed at birth right and then you force them into quote unquote a men's space right then are they not also going to be subject to harm right and if mm-hmm. they're trans women so i am i am not for self id like being the, you know, de facto way in which people are allowed into space, because that ultimately goes against how first and foremost identity works. In my Mm -hmm. opinion, it's not just, I think, therefore I am, it is a combination of like, of figuring out of, of your society, both acknowledging and affirming who you are, but also, and, and I know there's problematic stuff with that, but there's also a element of Identities describing an actual experience and a shared experience, right? And so that's where the question around, like, what is a woman is so provocative, in particular in left space, is not for the reasons that Matt Walsh is saying, right? Which is this um, oversimplistic way of like trying to reduce it to a simple and inaccurate way of looking at biology. No. The question of what is a woman or, or what is a man, which we should be asking a lot of, because you'll get a lot of men who have very interesting perspectives on that too, um, is more that there there are this, these categories are unstable. They're inherently but, unstable. But,
1: but Riki, this is. I, I'm I'm so glad you called it in, and I'm only I'm I'm going to be like as more forthright with you than I have been either in the earlier call in or with with Aaron because. You know, I, 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 you know, we've been having these conversations for a while. I like you and respect you so much, and I, I think this is the safest of safe spaces it's going to get. And so, I'm not. You know, I don't care about safe space. No, no, I <laughs> want a safe space. It's me.
5: Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> okay. The reason Matt Walsh is obviously um, a piece of shit and a bigot and a moron and a turd, but what he's exploiting here with the "what is a woman" stuff is that all of us, but as I had these conversations, as I was arguing with um, Inez last Friday on, on Rising, it's like you do... I... You know, fully being aware of the reality of intersex people, It there is something that feels a little forced and strained in the conversation to not make be able to make reference to sexual dimorphism, to not be able to make, a, make reference to the idea of gender that, not gender, sorry, sex that largely falls along a binary. That most people, you know, you know, I know the words biological sex are really stigmatizing and I'm trying to avoid using them, but that is part of the issue. That there is this phenomenon that for decades and years and centuries we've all kind of identified as biological sex and made, and made, there's more than two, sure, but there's a such thing as biological sex and that the, And as you know, the original understanding when when we first started talking about trans issues, when I was first exposed to trans issues, you know, so many years ago, it was the idea that one's gender identity does not align with one's biological sex. But the idea of saying biological sex isn't taboo in and of itself and that the reality of there being a thing called biological sex, which we've organized our sports around because there are differences between the biological sexes is just a fact of life and shouldn't impede anybody from living their life with whatever gender identity they want. But when did it become the case, I guess, that that it feels like there's a a negative stigma in the movement on the left against that even acknowledgement of any kind of biological, quote-unquote, reality for most people coming along these binary lines. And that's why Matt Walsh is able to get away with what is a woman, because there are people who feel like they're not able to say, you know anything about biological sex i mean what do you say to that
4: well my my question is that we're we're not actually talking about biological sex though like that that's...
1: but in women's sports i think we are and that's why that's the issue that everyone keeps focusing on
4: but what women's sports
1: you're... quite literally or, or sports generally speaking but quite literally are divided not on gender lines but right, because like, of these biological that. sex differences
4: right And what I would say to that is that like, yeah, that makes sense to a degree. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not debating that premise of that, Mm -hmm. but the way that that it gets used is to collapse the meaningful differences again between sex and gender. And so then like in that discussion with your panelist or their co-host, right, Mm -hmm. he was able to just run away with that conversation as like, oh, because there's only discrete sexes and therefore there's only discrete genders, right? And therefore, right, like that's where they run away with it. And what I'm saying is that we have to be more diligent about the way that we're talking about the biological basis for those sex differences, right? So if we're saying that, you know, in females and males for using broad categories for, you know, are of the biological categories to describe these differences in athletics, right? Mm-hmm. If females and males, if there's a meaningful difference in performance, right? And outcomes, right? Well, what is the, we have to drive to drill down further into figuring out biologically what those differences are. It's, I don't think it's sufficient anymore to say simply that because you have xx or xy chromosomes that that necessarily means that you immediately are at an inherent advantage or disadvantage i think and that's where the inclusion of trans women in women's sports is pushing the boundaries to try to figure out exactly where those biological differences lie i think obviously we're saying there's a constellation of things but again performance is an outcomes is not just merely predicated on on those biological markers only and I think there's tons of instances where we do have females who can even at elite levels out compete males now it's not a clear across every board in every sport it's not in every sport and it's not always going to be as um it's not going to be this broad oversweeping trend in which we see where yes there is some sexual dimorphism in ter- present in terms of our sex characteristics and expression of athleticism, et cetera. I'm not saying that these don't exist and no one is denying that. And I'm not a part of a movement where we're denying biology. What we're Mm -hmm. saying is that we're trying to, if we're going to articulate the meaning of biology, the meaningful place of biology in creating these um, differences, then let's do that. Let's actually use evidence about it. And what we're saying is, and what we're seeing is, is that there is some advantage, but it's not, the question is: Is whether or not that advantage, particularly for people who've been on hormones, right, hormone treatment, mm-hmm. whether that advantage is so significant, so significant that it creates an unfair competition, and that has actually yet to be determined. It really does. That has well, yet to
1: R- be determined. R- 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 I mean, again, I'm no sports scientist either, but I do think there are sports scientists, and I don't think it's quite as unknown and quite as unsettled as the way that we're talking about it here. While there are some sports, there there are some, let's put it this way, athletic feats that women are better suited toward because men might have more muscle mass, but we have more flexibility or something like that. You know, so maybe um, there's certain gymnastic feats that You know, cis women are better at versus cis men, and and another kind of. I just saw, I just read an article that says apparently cis women are better at running at longer distances in the cold or some shit for some reason, biological, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. But with the sports that we have, (laughs) the overwhelming majority of them, my understanding of it is that the gap between performance between cis men and cis women is so extreme. That truly, and this gives me no pride to say as a woman, that like competitive high school soccer players can like beat the number one championship women's soccer team, global best in the world soccer team. And that there really isn't, there really isn't, there's not a, if there's there's not a world in which a cis woman ever can really compete with cis men, if suddenly here comes a cis man a, a trans a trans woman who was not super competitive when they were playing against cis men but is now very competitive when they're playing against cis women i mean that's just going to strike me and most people as kind of obviously unfair and like like they are bringing clear advantages to a area of sports that was specifically cordoned off for cis women because of our relative physical disadvantages as compared to cis men?
4: I don't, again, I don't, I'm not saying there aren't meaningful disadvantages. What I'm saying is that if we're, again, to be clear, if we're using the biological basis for excluding people from participation in, in these categories of sport, right? And competition. I think we have to be specific about what we're talking about. And I think it's going to be harder and harder as we move forward because there's going to be more and more instances where people fall outside of those categories generally or, like, don't meet those provisions, right?
1: Look, look, so I want to, I want to, I want to validate that because I forgot to do that. I. So yeah. what I've been saying is I, I agree that there is potentially – a rubric that makes sense instead of having a blanket ban. I agree with Biden; there shouldn't be a blanket ban because it doesn't make sense.
4: No, it makes no sense.
1: I, 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 but what Biden did allow was people making assessments based on specific criteria.
4: Yes, and what I—that's—that's—I I, actually agree with that. I yeah. So, that. so what I
1: suspect—and I could be wrong—and we'll see how it plays out. What I suspect is if even if the people have good faith criteria, not like these Republicans that are coming up with some nonsense like in North Dakota, but even with the best of faith criteria. The criteria would exclude most trans women, I suspect, because of the unfair ad- advantages. I could be wrong, so I'm happy to, to go with criteria. But I do believe, I suspect that based on what I the little I know about the science, that once you put genuinely fair criteria into effect that account for the advantages that trans women have, they're gonna get excluded from most things anyway. Now, I think that's not true of little kids and stuff.
4: Well, I think I think what and what should happen instead of because part of the like. I guess the impassionedness around this piece of sport on a trans rights side comes from is participation in public life, right? Mm-hmm. Participation in sports as a human right, right? So we can't the 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 answer can't be okay. So you 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 fail, you fall outside of this criteria, and then you do nothing. You don't get access to anything, right? Like it's got to be like, oh, okay. Well, there has to be some meaningful way for folks to participate who fall outside of that criteria. Right. Who, who aren't allowed that? That's the question for me. It's like, I'm, I'm fine with diving in and figuring out the criteria that makes sense to maintain fair competition, not only fair competition, but amazing, wonderful and passion competition between people of all kinds of identities. Right. But we have to be consistent about it. One, we're not doing this with men. That's something that we also aren't doing. That we. What do you mean with
1: with trans men? We're not, we're not.
4: Yeah, we're not. We're not measuring all, all of men's testosterone because trans men and, can't know, compete with cis. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not even talking about trans men necessarily. Though. Oh, okay. I'm about cis men, I'm talking about men, men's sport in general, right? Like, but 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 come on, Rika.
1: We're talking about women's sports because we're talking about trans women who participate in women's sports and who are killing the game, <laughs> you know, who are just like doing really well.
4: But the principle that I'm arguing for is that if we're, if we, if the basis of this is quote unquote biology, and it is something that is a standard that's going to be applied to.
3: A no, no, group no, but of the people, basis
1: isn't biology period. The idea that the basis is biological advantage. So the yes. problem is that if you have one quote-unquote biological group that has an advantage, of course we're going to be more focused on the advantaged party playing with the disadvantaged party. than the. If some woman can magically play on the NBA, we're all, like, thrilled by it. Go, girl. Like, let's make a Disney movie.
4: But, again, Brie, what we're doing is we're actually ignoring biology itself, which is that there are ways in which some cis men, right, have low... I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going back to testosterone just because sure I have obscenely low testosterone levels, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like so are we then gonna like exclude like so they continue to have some type of advantage? No, they don't. They're but does that mean they will be able to compete competitively? I don't know. Like no I, no no right?
1: but if like, a if a, if a cis man has low testosterone levels, he's at a disadvantage, he's allowed to compete with cis men. But he's just probably not going to be that good, and then that's the end of the story.
4: Right. But what I'm saying is, is that we're we're not preser- we're not going through and preserving fair competition in the same way and across all sports for everyone. And I because and I-
1: fair because Rika fair means making sure that people don't have an advantage, not correcting for people's disadvantages.
4: I I think. I guess that makes sense to me, but I think, how can you have this overly, um, like this, when you're talking about a, like a minority, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and we're, and we're surveilling this particular minority and this um, an undue amount of surveillance over their participation in, in public life. And I feel like mm-hmm. that, that has to be squared away somehow I so so I agree. Of, you know what I mean?
1: I, I understand why there is this, like, impulse, because I share it, to not want to concede ground here. That this feels like the camel's nose under the tent and that they have a whole bunch of other shit coming down the pipe. But
4: that's not
5: even my... Okay, my, so what are you that's saying? That's not my
4: position. I'm, I'm saying that we, if we have, if we just focus on policing trans women, mm-hmm. right? in participation in public life, we're actually institutionalizing a level of scrutiny on a quote unquote basis of biology and this idea of fair competition in a way that is further, in my opinion, is putting more burden on them to both affirm and, and support that they are, not only who they are, who they say they are, but that's, that's one thing over there, but are, um somehow biologically unfit to participate in sport like and i think that's like how is it that we're only going to subject one group of people to that level but, of scrutiny but,
5: but here's what's
1: getting missed Rika. like the the whole the, sports are definitionally now we can do a whole rejiggering of society but people are gonna get mad at that but like the way we've just structured society whatever you feel about it is that sports are sex segregated and not because we're mad at women, not because we're sexist and we hate women, but because women wouldn't be able to compete, wouldn't be able to have competitive athletics if they were forced to participate in men's leagues. There just wouldn't be any women in them because we can't participate. We can't compete. So, so that women can enjoy sports and excel athletically and be cool. We have women's sports. So definitionally the category is about sex. It's like if I said, okay, there's a there's a competition for the the best, you know, the, the reddest hair. And then I come along and I'm a brunette and I'm like, well, why can't I participate? This isn't fair. Like I just don't have red hair. This just isn't a competition that's been designed for me. And that's okay. It's not racist. There's some black people with red hair. I'm just not one of them.
4: Right. I, I, I hear what you're saying and I'm like that. Yeah. We're talking about sex here. So there's obviously these differences, but I, I just, there's something I struggle with um, the level, just that, that level of scrutiny only being implied in one direction and not equitably across the board. If we're going to use that as a basis feels it's not, doesn't feel like it's like, like a, a way for the right to sneak in, like the, It just—it actually feels like an institutional mechanism to prevent people from uh, actually fully participating in sport in a way that, that feels—that feels like a little like counter, counter what we're actually trying to do, which is like make sure that that everyone is. treated equally in sport I
1: guess is what I'm getting but that's the thing we don't treat everyone equally in sports right we just don't we've already decided that we don't we have we have the special olympics where people who've lost a leg and who have other things so they can compete fairly against each other yeah no you're right you're absolutely
4: right and and we wouldn't right we would and we create like totally special spaces and unique categories and standards to make sure that even in those like special Olympics and Paralympics, right. That like people are competing fairly as well. So no, you're right. It, it I, I'm not, I guess I'm not like, I'm not anti, I am. I want to be clear. I am not anti. And I think that we discursively need to be okay with accepting like the biological and meaningful differences across sexes. I think my initial irk at it all is that there is this way in which we're saying inherently that, um, uh, that, that, these, that the, the way that we often talk about these differences in sexes is if they're so set in stone that they don't make for, there aren't individual outliers or that there isn't a way for people to not meaningfully compete. And that is the fallacy in which the right is holding on to this narrative that I think needs to be scrutinized a little bit more too.
1: Yeah, Look, if it were me, and I'm not in charge, and certainly I'm not the one to tell trans people how to best advocate for themselves. But if it were me, I would be much more focused on how absurd laws banning five-year-old girl, you know, cis girls from playing with five-year-old trans girls is that there's no biological differences basically pre-puberty that are of any significance and that even after puberty at a non-competitive level like there's nothing really lost you know there's no there's no nothing at stake there's no championships there's i mean there's no like but what scholarships there's no like there's no medals
4: but breathe then they say they say like yeah there is because these are um, pipelines if you will into collegiate sports these are pipelines right, right. but but, sports but sports. i'm saying something
1: different I, I, if there I, if it were me i would be focusing on blanket laws that ban me from playing on a, a, a co-ed t-ball team which i did when i was a little kid and i would li- not make the biggest deal like i would accept that there is potentially a reasonable reason to preclude trans athletes from participating in, in scholarships and et cetera that were intended for cis women. I, 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 like, I think that there is a, right again, this is going back to the metrics that are actually geared towards something specific as opposed to broad-based bigotry. Right, 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 right. Like right. something actually right. biological and yeah. like, okay. I think that if it were me, I, like obviously to me, there is a camel's nose under the tent issue here. That this is a Trojan horse for something bigger. And so for me, I would stop, I would stop with some of these like, def, like indefensible, very difficult to defend stuff and focus on the fact that Republicans are trying to go after, like, they have this new North Dakota law that bans, there's like a blanket ban against trans girls playing in women's sports. And there's like zero trans girls who have ever even tried to play women's sports in North Dakota. And this is what they're spending their tax dollars on. I would focus on that. And I would very much focus on the bans against gender affirming care, especially ones that focus that would even ban it for adults. I would focus on per, the parental rights aspect of this, you know, and because and, right now I gotta say optics wise, and as an outsider, and feel free to push back, you know, I'm not the be all end all here, but optics wise, women's in sports is a huge vulnerability in my view from a tr- for the trans movement
4: this isn't you know it just well i don't think it's i don't think it's just women's sports i think it's i think it's the whole this is i'm probably gonna be more trouble than you are with this one i think (laughs) it's the whole basis of creating a movement around like liberal notions of identity rather than actually like a more complicated picture of identity and a more like uh, like something that's actually not about that doesn't seed ground into this idea of Oh, I think, therefore, I am, but it's a little bit more complicated. And I, I, but that's my personal like beef with some of this stuff. Cause I don't, I, we're not, we're not just simply who we are because we think it. Like, that's the bottom line. And, and I've never, and I don't think that's, um, I, and I would, yeah. I think I would imagine that a lot of trans people also agree that. I think a lot of, yeah, I
1: mean, it like, used to be, I mean, the idea, Again, when I you know whenever there was a first a mainstreaming conversation of you know trans issues and I was first exposed to it, the idea was more you know these kids they are expressing a gender identity from a very young age, they seem very obviously like they were born in the quote unquote wrong body was the terminology that was used a lot, um, that there was this persistent, um, persistent commitment to a. Gender identity that they we weren't assigned at birth from an early age, that persisted through puberty, and in in all of that. And nowadays, it does feel more like there's you know people who present with um, you know a different gender preferences around puberty, giving rise to concern that it's about you know the discomfort that many of us feel around puberty and feeling unsettled in the world and awkward with your body and feeling like the solution might be. That you're you're you should live as a different gender and that that's fine. But if you then are starting to do things that are permanent or semi permanent, is that is that you know constructive and good? And should the medical establishment be participating in something that isn't the same kind of persistent um, dysmorphia or whatever else that used to be seen as an indi- an indicator of being trans? And I don't know. Do you, I mean does that feel I, like a I, shift to you?
4: I I like I feel this feels like this discourse feels so reminiscent of like like you know early gay rights movement discourse around like oh we're gay because we and we had like to come up with these narratives of like we're gay because uh we felt so at an early age there's something inherently in us Mm -hmm. to be gay etc and I just like i i like internally balk at that idea for one because you're always gonna find people who that's not the case you're always gonna find people who that that they didn't have that awareness. i mean sure
1: there's some people who merit meredith baxter bernie it yeah <laughs> shout out to my late late in life lesbians <laughs> but like come on the narrative hasn't changed from gay people know that they're you know gay people know that they're gay or bi i mean you can be you can be bi what, but, but knew that they had sexual attractions to people at some point around the time they started having sexual attraction to anybody
4: i i felt like we had more maybe this is my perspective i guess and mm-hmm. i i feel like there's more weight in being like okay so I, I don't care about the origins of how we come to be and why like i don't care about that but we exist what's so what's so wrong with that and let these right-wing people just like they went off and they would be like, Oh, it's morally abhorrent to have butt butt sex, or it's like, you know, it's morally abhorrent because you're gonna go to hell to like express yourself in this way. Cause you know, it's like when that kind of surfaces, you're just like, Really? Like they're having a good time. They're fine. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like we're out here having a good time. We're out here just existing. What's wrong with this? You know, But it- that's
1: that's why look like, Republicans latched on to conservatives latched on to gay marriage because they were able to argue stupidly, obviously, that this isn't just about what they're doing in their personal life. They want the state to participate in this. They want, right. you know, this is a marriage is a sacred contract from God and blah, blah, blah. And even more so than that argument, which I think was obviously a bad faith, the trans women in sports argument is less bad faith. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, and so again, when you get to a place where it's like, this is what conservatives say, right? Why do I have to participate in your delusion? Like, I know right, it's, right, it's such right, a stupid right. thing, but that's what they right, say. Right, and they that right. argument gets teeth when they can point to something like Riley uh Gaines losing her trophy or whatever it was. And she's like, how can you argue that she, she isn't being affected? I went, I obviously wouldn't frame it as participating in anybody's quote unquote delusion, but she's affected by the participation of trans women in sports. And so you can't, ignore that this also is something that implicates cis women
4: right i know i i feel like i, I i'm and i'm not i am not i guess i'm just not interested in like trying to like i guess for the matter of sport itself it makes sense to me that because because it is sex segregated to have conversations about like the meaningful biological differences and advantages across sexes like i get that mm-hmm. but i'm not I, I, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that trans people don't get to participate in sport. And I wish we would pivot more to be like, okay, so then what's your solution to incorporate trans people in sport? Because the, they they exist and they will rise to levels where they will be able to meaningfully compete. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like like, what about that? What about that? We're just gonna say that? Nope. Sorry, you don't get to compete. Period. Right. Um, maybe it is a
1: trans maybe the trans sports like i mean i, I it, you know that makes me a little bit like oh, we are just gonna like have all these balkanized leagues but i think balkanized sports according to ability makes sense
4: sure but then then we will inherently have people we will this will happen because this is this is this, we'll have people who are females and males competing against each other right like that will
1: happen like, oh yeah we will... have like mixed doubles tennis and that's what i'm, saying. <laughs> that's but, what I'm saying but
4: that's like, but that's by design yeah, you know but when i'm but also okay i'm just gonna give you a, for instance like and this is like so like micro but it's still something that's meaningful like my my friend who's female we is an olympic weightlifter mm-hmm. she weighs arguably like a couple more pounds than me. She can Mm -hmm. lift more than I can. She has roughly the same training that has, if not a little bit more. And she's competing at like state levels. She's clearly stronger than me. I will never be able to out-compete her in Olympic weightlifting. That's just like never going to happen. And, but it would be meaningful probably for us to go head to head at some point and compete because, uh she is close enough within my ability that it would be a fun competition right and now should we have that at an elite level i think that's debatable i would like but to that's the thing that elite level but I-,
1: I agree with you people should be able to compete and do whatever they want to do exactly. but the question is whether or not those areas which are specifically sex segregated already like no one's if, if a blanket ban means i can't in my private time you know go weightlifting with my trans girlfriend like that's ridiculous Obviously, right. exactly.
4: Um, but that's how it's getting interpreted, right? Like, that's like, that's how it will be implemented, because that's just how these policies and guidelines get trickled down. They look and defer to someone else. And I'm like, "Oh, okay, this is how we're going to incorporate it in our, our space. But I think the other, I think, you know, my solution, I guess would be is to actually have a COSEX league where you're having competitions where you're allowing for that kind of stuff to occur. Um in a That could be way. fun. You know, exa- ex- that exactly could be fun. Look, exactly. Look, I've seen
1: I've seen on um, like TikToks, um I keep talking about gymnastics. I saw this TikTok where a bunch of gymnasts, you know, you know, girl and boy gymnasts sis, were all together doing each other's sports, like doing each other's gymnastics thingies because they have se- se- separate things that male and female gymnasts do. Right? The men do the rings and like the pummel horse. I guess everyone kind of does some pummel horse stuff, but they do different things on the equipment and the girls do a lot of like the bar and you know, the balance beam or whatever and that stuff like that. So they were doing each other's things and it was really funny because the boys were like really bad at the balance beam and the girls weren't that strong at the ring stuff. But then occasionally one of the girls would be good at a boy thing. And one of the boys would be okay at the girl thing. And it was like cute. Like it showed like it subverted expectations, but also like affirm that people can have differences and still be good and talented and skilled in a way that's very impressive. Even if they can't do exactly what the other person can do, it's a cute TikTok. And so, like, I, I, I like to see more of that, but I, I just think that there has to be an acknowledgement, and you've acknowledged this, and this isn't at you, obviously, but that sex-segregated sports is not about gender. It's not about, it, it's literally about preserving spaces for women who are not as strong to compete, it's Just women who yes. are not as, you know. And that, like, that just has implications for, this is the one area of public life where I would argue that there is a reasonable substantive opposition to trans women competing because it's not about being like oh I hate trans people right I mean for some people obvious but (laughs) you know it's not necessarily about oh I hate trans people it's about hey like you happen to have because of this biological reality an advantage here love you I want to hang out with you. I want to play doubles tennis with you. And it also doesn't mean you're
4: not a woman. It doesn't mean you're not a man. Right. right? Like a hundred percent. Like, like, yeah, exactly. I, and I, I, I'm 100% with that. I just, again, don't, I'm uh, like worried about how that gets implemented in the sense that like it, it will inevitably continue to impact people and exclude people from participation in public life because we don't have like people who are Actually, we don't have that leagues established, right? We yeah. don't have these spaces established to support trans people competing in public life. But I see it in the chat, people are like, Get the fuck off this <laughs> issue. Move on. I'm like, Y'all, me too. I just had to react to it because me and I, we have this relationship where she had something trans. Come on, I gotta, I gotta say something. Okay.
1: Well, I appreciate you, Rika. I'm really thrilled to have this opportunity. I saw someone say in the chat, Screw the haters. I saw someone in the chat say, this is the best good faith conversation about this issue that I've ever seen. And I tend to agree. These last two call-ins have been great. So I appreciate you, Rika.
4: Appreciate you back, Rika.
1: All right. Keep the faith. Jonathan, my friend, how are you doing?
6: So far, so good. Can we hear me okay? Good. I'm glad. Okay. I'm doing
1: a-okay. What's on your mind this sunny afternoon?
6: Uh, well, firstly, it's been an awesome week on Rising. Um, and I, I caught the I caught the conspiracy segment, which uh, I thought was beautiful.
1: Oh, I'm so glad I- you liked it. I forgot. So when you said it, when you said that you you know saw this reason article, I put it in the chat and reason in the Slack, and then promptly forgot about it. And then when it came up, I was like, oh great, someone actually listened. And Robbie was so excited to get into it. So I'm glad you enjoyed it.
6: Yeah, and uh, the the uh, professor at the University of Delaware who first turned me on to the article was also thrilled to see it. She's teaching a whole course on uh, to undergrads on that subject this semester. So um, I'm so glad. Yeah, so, and the uh, you know also the uh, the stuff with the media funding. You you might also be interested in in talking to Victor Picard, maybe bringing him on Rising because he is a guy. At, I think he's a professor at, at UPenn, uh mm-hmm. and he has written a couple of books on funding models for public media. Wait, what's his name? I think Victor Picard.
1: Oh, like Captain?
6: Yeah, well, P-I-C-K-A-R-D.
1: Oh. Picard, Mr. Picard. What is yeah. that from? What is that British thing where there's a Mr. P- Mister? Oh, never mind, this is not important. I don't know. Okay, don't this is fascinating. I'm going to yeah. bookmark this.
5: Yeah, you're
6: like I think you'd like him. He's pretty responsive on Twitter, too. So uh, he's always yeah. been responsive to me anyway. When I told him I liked his books. But, um, the yeah, the, the thing I wanted to call in and talk about was this kind of epiphany I had listening to your Monday episode and your discussion with Inez. It it kind of called the mind, uh, you know, in psychology, when they talk about open mindedness and closed mindedness, they, they go on that scale of openness to experience versus need for closure. Hmm. And people that are by default setting higher in need for closure. Um, you know tend towards conservative viewpoints but everybody has a little of both it's just people whose default setting uh in need for closure tend toward conservative viewpoints and those people like uh firm boundaries to the point where they actually will express a preference for pictures with stronger frames around them and uh that need for closure trait uh which you know i was definitely seeing like a lot of that theme and in inez's uh, you know, very aggressive and visceral, uh, critiques there. Um, it strikes me as something that's very easily, uh, you know, like it will run afoul of a lot of the, the issues regarding trans rights and especially trans in sports because it blurs certain boundaries by its very nature. And it's, it's complicated, you know, complicated stuff without easy answers. Like you just, discussed for you know these kinds of parse these issues for like at least a good like forty five minutes with Rika. <laughs> yeah. And like there was no no firm conclusions because these are complicated issues. These are mm-hmm. very nuanced issues. They don't have easy answers. And people that are very high in need for closure are naturally going to have an aversion to that. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's kind of what a lot of these conservative media types have been latching on to in terms of how they can get a reaction. Mm -hmm. which is they selected this issue for a very good reason, because it's messy, because it blurs firm boundaries, and because it triggers that instinct in people who are already predisposed to it. No, we have to defend these boundaries. We have to keep these boundaries up. We have to protect them somehow, and they are uh, completely freaked out and agitated when those boundaries get blurred and when things that they thought were settled uh, suddenly become complicated.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think that there's something to that. I got to say, though, I do also think you don't have to be kind of uh, susceptible to black and white thinking to be put off by an unwillingness that some of us have on the left. And I've been guilty of this as well, to admit to the, the the fact of sports being sex segregated for reasons. Like, I didn't, I I wouldn't, I I found myself reluctant to own up to that in the conversation with Inez, partly because, if I'm going to be honest, I was triggered by her choice to keep saying biological sex. and, And that in and of itself is kind of an issue, right? Like, I am aware that many people who are arguing in bad faith and who are intentionally indifferent to the feelings of trans people really emphasize and say repeatedly biological sex biological sex biological sex and you know avoid using words like cis or gender assigned at birth and things like that now i don't know enos very well i'm not saying that she was arguing a bad faith but i'm talking about my emotional response my emotional response was somewhat hostile because of the words that she was using and then because i then was reacting to her as someone who was arguing a bad faith it made me unwilling to concede some some of the things that I've conceded here in this conversation, right? Like I was the one that was like, but intersex people when I was arguing with her, right? Because I, I just, I felt like, I didn't, like she, I felt like, I'm not saying she was, but I felt in the moment like she was arguing from a place uh, that I didn't want to agree with at all. And that I think put me at a disadvantage in the conversation lost me some credibility and makes my good arguments in defense of trans rights seem a little silly. I don't know. I mean, what did you think of it?
6: Uh, I mean, I thought you did all right. I thought like I was kind of surprised by how visceral and passionate she was about these things. Like in Mm -hmm. a sense, she had a very, very strong emotional reaction. And that's kind of what made me think that uh, she was naturally primed to be uh, higher in need for closure. You know, they also talk about that spectrum Mm. in terms of open-mindedness versus closed-mindedness. But, you know, I think when people, uh, and and these, these traits can be primed too, like, so people that are normally very open to experience can be through various uh, methods, including like sleep deprivation, you know, loud ambient noise and things like that be primed to be higher in need for closure. But that kind of irritability around it, uh, you know, that need for those firm boundaries, that feeling of security that comes from those firm boundaries can create a very strong, very visceral response that can often be uh, translated into, say, for instance, bigoted viewpoints uh you know uh, extreme racism and things like that um you know it's these kinds of things like not that everybody who is naturally high in need for closure is a racist but these kinds of things can easily be leveraged into and lead people down you know kind of those sorts of paths and it was just it was very it was interesting to me uh just uh why this thing Keeps getting so much play and airtime, particularly on the right, and why it's so resonant there. It strikes me that that issue, because of the complications of things that people had had traditionally "quote unquote" thought of as very settled, very binary, uh, you know, things that they were comfortable with, uh, and now suddenly uh, opening up gates that they had thought were were closed and bolted. Um, you know, causes them a great deal of, of uh, emotional distress, it seems like.
1: I mean, I, I guess my resistance is, if anything, I felt like I was the one having the emotional... <laughs> I mean, like, I know that she was very um, forceful in her argument, and I felt some kind of way about it, but I honestly felt like I was the one that was having an emotional reaction. I, mean, I
6: felt that, too. I felt like I responded to her emotionality to a certain degree, to, to that very... And, like, I felt kind of the same way you did. Like, in the instant instinct to to be you know kind of defensive of uh you know trans people in sports but again like that episode that you had also uh kind of definitely uh sidestep that problem and engaged with those points and the conclusion that you come to from that episode and even from the conversation with rika is that there are no easy answers to these things like Mm -hmm. these are not like these are not things you're going to have a magic bullet response to or any kind of solution is going to satisfy everybody. These are things that people need to grapple with. And, you know, I think uh, people unwilling to grapple with the need to grapple with it um, are those kinds of people that are like, this is settled science. This is settled stuff. And we just need to leave things the way they are. Uh, well, that,
1: that's the thing. Like, I do. I mean, again, I'm not a sports scientist, so I can't say like declaratively. But that's the part I think that Rika and I were kind of like, well, not settled about wasn't the idea of sports being sex segregated that it's sex segregated because cis women are not as strong broadly speaking um that we decided that there needs to be a space for cis women to be able to compete that it, you know the, all of those things were you know that that maybe there's a world where trans women can compete with cis women but a metric has to be um come up come, come you know Resolved, uh, you know, decided upon that is genuinely fair, and that metric might actually end up excluding 99.9% of trans women. But that that is an open question: what that metric is, and whether or not it can be established. And the other part that we were up in the air about is like, well, so what do we do about it so that trans women can have a place in public life and compete, athletically and be happy? Maybe we have a trans sports league. Da, 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 and that that part is up in the air. But, but I think the irony is, and this is the problem for the left in this issue, that we all of the things that Rika and I were able to kind of affirm and which I, f- I declined to affirm with I- I Inez because I was in my feelings like are actually kind of s- like not that unclear like are kind of straightforward but the left is treating them as more difficult issues than they are because they want to show allyship for good reasons but it's not cl- it, it, it's putting us into this place where it sounds like we're so confused that we don't know what a quote-unquote know what a woman is do you know what I mean? I mean, what do you? I mean, push back against. Yeah, I, do you, what I do you think,
6: think no, I like I do think the sports the sports issue, as Rika pointed out in particular, is kind of not uh, really the clearest uh, example of that kind of of situation to stand on because it's so complicated and there's there's not a whole lot of very clear, easy answers to those questions. Whereas, like a lot of the anti-trans bills that are being passed, as uh, neoliberal tears has been pointing out in the chat, has nothing to do with sports or anything like that. I know. Just making discrimination, and that I think is a much clearer. I
1: know, but as long as sports exist, conservatives. As long as we keep fighting on the sports issue, conservatives are going to keep wanting to go there because it's the one where I got to say they have a better argument.
6: Right, a, that's, and which, that's the the crux of it. I think that you which, you astutely pointed out, like they're not completely on all issues here without merit to their arguments. Which, which like, is they're, why they're, I'd they're...
1: say we need to stop arguing it. Like yeah. stop arguing it. That people like stop talking about this. The only way this is, we're going to stop talking about this is either we win, which I don't think there's a strong winning uh, argument for. You know why Kylie Reno? That's not her name. Kylie Riley the the woman who got uh hit the in the, by the protesters
6: oh no that one okay
1: riley i keep wanting to say riley Kino, like it. elvis's granddaughter uh but the the point is we're not we don't have strong like there isn't a strong case for why a cis woman would feel disadvantaged competing with the trans women like it's obvious like it's obvious look if, if i if i were a premier athlete and i've been working for this my whole life And someone joins the league, you know, who is has recently transitioned, who was an okay athlete when they were identifying as male, and is now kicking my ass as a woman. Even if this barely ever happens, this barely ever happens, if it happens to me, I'm going to be pissed. So, like, yes, it barely ever happens. It's a non-issue. It's stupid. But if it's such a non-issue and it barely ever happens and we admit that it's unfair – Is there a world where the left can just admit that it's unfair, say that there should be rules that adjust for fairness, and then focus back on all of the other ways that trans people's rights are being stripped away at an ungodly pace? You know? Is that unfair? Is that throwing trans women athletes under the bus? I don't know. I'm open to the argument that it is, but I also, like, there has to be an acknowledgement that every interest in the substantive fairness of cis women competing in sports... Isn't about transphobia, even though I gotta say a lot of these cis women in sports are kind of transphobic.
6: <laughs> yes. Well, and also, you know, there's—I uh, had a profound point that I just—I I just had a I'm brain sorry. fart on. No, it's not your fault at all. It's—I uh, just uh, am a little bit of a space cadet today. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was just the—I um, uh, had it again, but I lost it. I guess I, I guess I got nothing else but yeah no it was it like this is like it is I, I agree with uh, everything that you you basically just said about the you know what you have to concede about not to a certain degree like the one way you will always turn everybody off and prime need for closure and let get them to stop listening to you at all is to gaslight them uh, in a sense when they know for a fact they have a valid point
7: mm-hmm. and
6: you, like to a certain degree, there are certain points that they have that you have to concede before they will be willing to move on and say, "Okay, you know we'll put a, we'll put a, a thumbtack in that and get back to it later." And uh, so, yeah, I do think that uh, that that that's important as well. But uh, yeah, my main my main insight was the whole need for closure thing uh, certainly was. Oh great my cat just knocked something off the counter. Good job, Norman.
1: Bates. These damn cats.
6: I love mine but you're you're definitely right about cats. They definitely have like a lot of sharp pointy parts and uh, they're they're And they do it issues. on
1: purpose. Your cat yes, just probably swipes something it's like dogs are clumsy. You know. But cats are yeah. cats are out here like choosing violence.
6: <laughs> yeah, no, he 100% like looked at me and put his paw out and then knocked that thing off the counter. <laughs> it, was a, it was a bag of dishwasher, dishwasher uh, detergent balls.
1: <laughs> LOL. Well, look, thank you so much for calling in, Jonathan. I always enjoy talking to you. You know that. Likewise. All right. Keep the faith. You too. All right. Let's go to Faola. What's on your mind today? Hello.
3: Hello. All right. So um, I actually did want to talk about Clarence Thomas. Yeah, let's do it. But um, I want to say one thing about the transgender conversation before we jump to that. Just mm-hmm. because, and my heart is like beating in my throat, just because I do not speak on this issue mm. <laughs> in a public forum where people can jump on me. Mm. But I want to say this. That I think the issue that people are having Mm -hmm. is that we're trying to, um, we're conflating sex and gender, that's one. Mm -hmm. And also, we are afraid to say things that are already established or have already been established. We're afraid to say that that it is so. Yeah. Because now we have decided, for example, if we were to say trans women are trans women, we would be attacked, right? As that author was, the African author. I can't remember
1: her name right now. Oh, yeah. Chimamanda. Um, yes. Her. Mm-hmm. So...
3: Because I, I've, you know, I'm, I'm not from America, so I look at sports and other things around the world. It's not, um, I've seen trans women play on men's sports teams, right? So like, for example, there's an American Samoa midfielder who is trans, but she's mm-hmm. on the men's team, mm-hmm. right? Because that's where she fits, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So it, to me, it's like, if we're going to separate Sex and gender. Let's just separate sex and gender. So, I'd, what what is the mm-hmm. problem with so like if Caitlyn Jenner, I don't believe Caitlyn mm-hmm. Jenner only became trans when she changed to Caitlyn Jenner, right? Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. she was competing and won her Olympic medal as Bruce Jenner, mm-hmm. she was still trans, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So let them compete. In the category that they fall into based on sex. If we're going to separate sports by sex, mm-hmm. let them compete in the sports that they would fall into by sex. That's so, that's so that interesting.
1: A yeah, there, there is a world where hypothetically, and I'm not, again, I'm not telling trans people how to identify or how to run the movement or anything like that, but you can imagine a world where the position that the trans community took was, um, my sex and gender are different. my gender is women is female this is obviously trans women talking my my gender is female I identify as a woman i I was born assigned assigned male at birth my sex is male, but I am a woman you know like that that was the line that was taken yeah. I, I'm not saying that that people can't say that or don't say that but it, it does feel like you know so much of the discourse the last few years has been um. You know, and I mean, I say this completely respectfully, like the dissonance and emotional, you know, discord that comes with dead naming and people, you know, sometimes even reflection on one's childhood and the the cognitive dissonance of who you were forced to present as and who you are now has made it so that it, it feels almost taboo to make reference to the fact of someone having been born yeah. With it, with the sex that they were born into and that they continue to have that sex, you know, sex identity despite their um, gender identity changing. Now, obviously, with transition and hormones and surgical options and things like that, mm-hmm. you know, these lines become increasingly blurred. But there is a world where it wouldn't be stigmatized at all to be like, yeah, my my sex is male, but my gender is female. Respect that I'm a woman. And I'm like, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. correct. And, like, I mean, there are countries, like, in, the, in Polynesia, you know, there's a third gender, is Fafafinis, who, it's just normal, it's just normal to be a third gender. It's not, mm-hmm. we, we are trying to force it in a binary. It's like, mm-hmm. trans women are women is a is a battle cry. And while I agree, and I, I would never say, like, Levine Cox or Janet or any of these women, I will never not call them women. Mm-hmm but i recognize they are trans women mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. so if 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 like i go to samoa and i i see a fafafini i'm going to call them a fafafini i'm not going to call them a woman if that's not what they want to be called mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i feel like the reason why we're having all these difficulties Closing on these topics so that we can move on to the actual hurt and damage that's happening to people's lives mm-hmm. is because we are trying to force this thing into a binary that does not exist. Mm-hmm. We have we have we have already acknowledged that gender is non-binary, yet we don't want to. We just we still don't want to act as though it's non-binary. Mm-hmm. We still want to say trans women are women, trans men are men. Full stop. So anything that was previously considered to be for women is now for trans women. Anything that was previously considered like full stop. There's no room to add. There's
1: no room to, <laughs> to, yeah,
3: to think like, differently. Some people
1: don't like the the word cis and trans. Like I've seen people in the chat yeah. saying I like, think cis is silly. Like I think it's extremely helpful actually. <laughs> like it's 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 literally helpful because the word cis and trans allow us to give voice to the idea that there are different kinds of women. Right. Right. Cause that allows us to have the flexibility without having to be like, you know, Matt Walsh lives in a world where like woman means one thing. And so he says, right. what is a woman? And then everybody's falling all over themselves. <laughs> and it's like, well, a, you know, a, a, cis woman, you know, is someone who identifies exactly. as a woman who is assigned female at birth probably has XX chromosomes and though not always. And a man is what a man is, you know, um, and a right. trans woman is, is what a trans woman is. And I, I feel like I agree with you, although I would say that the issue is less that we're trying, trying to fit things into a binary. Yes, we're trying to fit gender into a binary, but I think there's a much more robust conversation about how there's multiple genders and there's fluidity there. Mm-hmm. It's the issue is that, like, I would like a world where we allow there to be gender fluidity, but also yeah. acknowledge that outside of the outliers of intersex people, there is a sex binary. Like that's yes. where people are getting tripped up. Like that yes. it's it feels taboo to admit in liberal circles that there is a sex, not gender, but sex binary.
3: Yes. And I I think I mean I I wish that they would look to other cultures that have dealt with this thing and it's normal. <laughs> To see maybe how to reconcile that because you, this is a change, you know, there have been trans, um, gender people forever, but it is a change in terms of how we're talking about it in this particular society. Mm-hmm. So we, we should allow a for. The questions that come up we should allow room for people to ask questions mm-hmm. there should be room for people to n- not understand fully or think something differently or as jonathan was saying hold on to their previous definitions because mm-hmm. you know identity is real right so people mm-hmm. people's mm-hmm. previous I, that has been centuries wide what a woman meant mm-hmm. um it's now being expanded as far as, as as most of us are concerned. And we should be allowed to, to feel whatever feelings we feel about it, ask whatever questions without being TIFFs, without being yeah. transphobic. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like, like, we should be allowed to ask the questions. Yeah. And, um, without, without that meaning that it's, that we, endanger trans people or we, we don't recognize their, their yeah. livelihood or their existence you know Honestly, I continue this to recognize feels, it this
1: feels so good like I obviously am not happy that Matt Walsh is doing what he's doing and that all of these bills are doing what they're doing but I do feel like this w- political moment we're in it does feel to me like there's more space to have these conversations than there yeah. has been in the past and I'm just I always want to say that I'm loving it and I've been loving all of your guys' contributions and this feels really productive in a way that some of these um, combos haven't over the course of the last few years. So thank you all. Vaila, what did you have to say about... uh, Did you still want to say something about the episode? Yes, Clarence, no. (laughs)
3: Yes. (laughs) First of all, I I did not... In no world would I have black nationalists and anything next to Clarence Thomas. <laughs> so that was weird. <laughs> right. So it, it took me a good while to um, to wrap my mind around that. But um I wanna deal especially with his is his um corruption, mm-hmm. which is what I think we touched on a few call ago, which is that nothing happens when people are corrupt. Mm. So the question you're asking about should it matter Mm -hmm. because it doesn't change his jurisprudence. So like he was going to be awful anyway, even if he wasn't getting these thousands of dollars gifts from his Nazi memorabilia, loving (laughs) Republican donor Mm -hmm. friend, right. He would have been horrible anyway, but I don't know if that matters to me. Like, and again, coming from the global South where corruption is held over our heads like a moral failing. We don't Mm -hmm. get aid because our leaders are going to waste it because we're corrupt. Mm -hmm. How can we trust you with aid? How can we trust you with loans? Your ratings are going to be low. So corruption feels like a trigger word for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) when I see it happening in the US and being spoken of as well. Does it even matter? There are no checks and balances for this guy yeah the, you know the, this is the the scooter is the safest of safe spaces so mm-hmm. and and there's just this kind of acknowledgement that nothing is going to happen and and that's- the, and that's where the conversation stops mm-hmm. and and it's irritating because it's like either corruption is a problem or it's not, right <laughs> so, yeah, no, I get
1: that. So we were, I guess we were talking about it before with respect to Donald Trump and like yeah. how much the New York case matters. So I would frame it as like not that uh, Clarence Thomas' corruption doesn't matter or that Trump's corruption doesn't matter for that matter, but that th- there's a question of whether or not the fact of him not disclosing these things or the fact of his relationship with Harlan Crow changes his jurisprudence. More so, especially, than the fact that he's a member of the Federalist Society, that he does right. all of these speeches, that he's hanging out with the founder of the Federalist Society. <laughs> that, like, it's like a bit of a chicken and the egg situation, you know? Yes. Is he in charge of all of this right-wing propaganda, or is he being influenced by the right-wing propaganda? At a certain point, it doesn't matter. He's already told us who he is. It doesn't matter because right. it doesn't matter. That this scandal isn't especially revealing, I guess, is a better way to put it than does it really matter? Does the scandal tell us anything new? And I would argue that the answer is no. Now, the question of what we should do about it and how much we should hold people kind of morally responsible or legally responsible is a different question. And I agree with you that it would be irritating and we'd be remiss to try to let people off the hook. But that's a much bigger conversation than even Clarence Thomas, right? Because Clarence Thomas, I, we'll see about these newest allegations that I haven't had time to look into that just came out a couple hours ago.
3: But real estate stuff.
1: His, yeah, But his, his failure mm-hmm. is to not disclose this stuff. Like that's the, the so-called crime. I don't even think it's a crime. I think it's an ethics violation. Mm-hmm. So okay, he didn't disclose it, but there's nothing actually preventing him from doing exactly what he did. You know, so... What are what are we really talking about here? What's the problem? Isn't this bigger problem about the nature of our judiciary, the nature of the Supreme Court appointment process, the politicization of our court system, the lack of checks and balances? I mean, these are mm-hmm. a lot of other problems. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Clarence Thomas's personal belief and a belief that has come out in his jurisprudence is that um, – Corruption isn't corruption unless I say, hey, hey, Fayola, here's $100,000. And I, you, you you, must do exactly what I say explicitly in exchange, just $100,000. And yeah. anything short of that, if I buy you a $100,000 house, if I take you on a $100,000 vacation, if I pay for your daughter's $100,000 wedding, <laughs> none of that is quid pro quo.
3: Yeah. And I mean, and this is where I think we need to use the tools available Mm -hmm. because if there is a rule or a law or whatever against non-disclosure of these types of gifts, use it. Like if he's in violation of it, do whatever one does when one is in violation of a rule. Like Mm -hmm. we can't say that, we can't say we have these rules here and then people could come and flout them, go on $500,000 trip, don't disclose it and talk about, well, mm. I thought that I could, I I asked and people said I wasn't a problem. <laughs> you are a <the> big Supreme <laughs> Court justice. Yeah. And you don't know the minor rules. Are we supposed to expect that you can adjudicate on major matters of law? Like, I feel like if there's a law or rule or whatever,
1: however, there's supposed to be a check and a balance check and balance this man, because yeah. <laughs> it, well, it I think I, I'm family. thinking with Corey on this one, like I'm open to the idea of an, like, I'm irritated that AOC will impeach him for this, but not force it, but like fine. Cause it's like he's not going to get impeached. You can do the hearings, but you know, mm-hmm. we don't have the uh, Congress for it, but mm-hmm. like I'm open to the idea of doing it to embarrass him. If you read the book, you you Cory writes about how humiliated he was over Anita Hill because he had worked he was so invested mm-hmm. in his public interest as a black man in white spaces that it really did bother him like who gives a shit obviously but it really right. did bother him um to have to publicly not just defend himself but defend himself on an issue that like black men already are stigmatized for right, right. like he felt like it was like a ra- like, like a failure of his persona in a way that he was deeply felt so i think there's a, a you know there's it, it might have some deterrent effect it, it might be some kind of cosmic punishment to force him to go through an impeachment hearing even yeah. if it doesn't have an effect but i agree with cory that like it would be a lost opportunity and a waste of resources time and energy mm-hmm. if it weren't about something more than just these trips I think it's about, you have to tie it into his jurisprudence, which is the real problem. Because not only does he personally feel that corruption isn't anything but a quid pro quo, he's writing that into our laws and making it the case across the entire country. Yeah. But what tools do you have to do that? I think it's narrative, it's framing. I think that's just like a framing question. And also, there is pending legislation. this HR, blah, 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 blah. there is an anti-corruption reg- uh, legislation that's been idling, and this could be a good opportunity to gin up public support for it. You know, for right. for instance, yeah, right, changing okay. some of these laws um, about what judges can and cannot do. You right, know, make Republicans sit there and say, "Oh, I think a Supreme Court justice, I'm, I'm not going to support a law that says a Supreme Court justice shouldn't be taking you know all of this money." Like make them sit there and say that they're for corruption. Right. You know, yeah, call it the anti-corruption and anti-corruption and activist judge bill <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and let that Republicans down. vote that down, you know?
3: Yeah. And I, I agree. I agree with that. I, I am for um, embarrassing them because if they if like their reaction to being called um, with their legitimacy called into question after rule, when they came out with state, statement, this is the whole court. When they came out to the statement, like, how dare you all call us, unbi you know biased or partisan or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, we need more of that. We need more challenges to their legitimacy. We need mm-hmm. more um, opportunities to call them to cor- corrupt. Opportunities to scrutinize their their judgments. And wherever, however, it comes, it should be pounced upon with the tools that are there <laughs> is, where, yeah. is what i'm for <laughs>
1: yeah i'm, I'm right, with you, for you right? <laughs> that makes sense to me i think that's great thank you for calling us. this has been great all right take care Bye. all right take care david what is on your mind
7: hi there long time no chat
1: <laughs> yeah i feel like i've been seeing you in the chat but i guess maybe i haven't called on you in a while <laughs> i have
7: not i've been trying to when i call i try and have some stuff ready to chat about so there's not dead space and it's all like, it's just boring but th- right lately i haven't been able to focus on anything but myself and trying to be healthy
1: <laughs> no i i get that and i'm glad that you are focused on that all-important issue so yeah well,
7: the question I had today was so I was watching um one of your rising um episodes with our best friend Robbie, and mm-hmm. it's the one where you guys were talking about Clarence Thomas and it got you on the conversation of campaign finance reform
0: mm-hmm.
7: and I was screaming at the screen like what is what what is robbie's point what 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 is like It seemed to me that the point he was making was the only way to stop this corruption is to remove the incentive for the moneyed interest to pay the government to do the bad thing for them. And the way to stop that is to shrink the government as opposed to targeting the moneyed interests that are abusing the government. Am I right about that? Like, what is his? Plan? So he,
1: I think he was making two arguments. One, a broad uh, government is corrupt, so it should be a smaller argument. But then two, that to the extent that people are lobbying public officials to do X, Y, and Z, you should punish the official for doing X, Y, and Z. So if I'm, you know, if I'm uh, bribing Gretchen Whitmer to... I don't know. Build a new stadium called the Brianna Gray uh, Stadium for the for the the Detroit Lions. Oof. But if I wanted that for some reason, <laughs> uh, that the punishment should be punishing Gretchen Whitmer for succumbing to the bribery and building the stadium, not punishing me or preventing me from paying Gretchen Whitmer. Which to me, like, by the way, I didn't fully understand that's what he was arguing until toward the end of the segment, and then we run out of time. So. Um, I haven't had a chance to respond to that argument, so I'm glad you're bringing it up. I think that the problem with that is that it's much more difficult to um, prove that Gretchen Whitmer is building that stadium for me as a—I mean, obviously, if it's my name on it, that's a weird example—but you know, it's much more difficult to appro- to prove that the individual politician's motives behind doing X, Y, and Z than it is to simply preemptively stop the bribe. And not be. Cons- it also is a world where you have to wait for the bribe thing to happen. You have to wait for the money to be spent, the public funds to be spent on the bullshit activity, before you can swoop in and say that was actually bad. It just seems like, you know, wait- waiting for you know not doing any kind of prevention doesn't seem to be the most efficient way to go about it to me.
7: Right. It seems like it fails in the same place that this whole story around Clarence Thomas has failed instead of asking the question of, oh, is he is he legislating in the way that he's legislating or rather, is he ruling in the way that he is ruling because of the money or is this just who he is? And now he is also benefiting from continuing this method of ruling on things and and, because it's benefiting him. Where does the feedback loop start? I guess is the question. So then my question is, and I know I'm not, you can't necessarily know uh, uh, Robbie's thinking, but I'm trying to get inside that, that libertarian mindset so that I can, you know, kind of talk to people more openly and kind of understand where they're coming from. So does his does that argument make sense and if not why doesn't it make sense to start with the moneyed interest and make it harder for them since the rich already have every advantage
1: no honey don't even sweat it and like don't (laughs) even wrap yourself into nut and it's not you go right down to that little comment section and we all know that the team rising god bless them those people are not my people they do not like (laughs) them liking me is the exception not the rule But everybody in the comment section was like, absolutely not, Robbie. Not on this one. No, I'm with Brianna on this one. You don't need to try that hard. Average people know what corruption is. Average people know that money in politics is bad. Majorities of Americans want campaign finance reform. Majorities of Americans want spending limits uh, for corporations and billionaires in elections. So, like, don't even worry about even trying. Like, it's not even one of those ones. where we got to understand the other side so we can persuade them. On this particular issue, Robbie's position is very niche.
7: Gotcha, and it's. I guess it just seems crazy to me that he would continue to protect private industry, which I mean, I, I guess I have a problem with private property in the first place because it means it's something extra that you own that you don't really need. So, I don't think that libertarians tend to take issue with private property like the way that I do. So, I guess that's why I was.
1: Certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. Yeah.
7: Okay. Yeah. So- this other conversation that I've been having, I just—it's kind of adjacent to the the trans issue. It's back to that thing, and I've asked you about this before, but the WNBA and mm-hmm. how they are compensated versus how the NBA and the the G League are compensated. Have you like, and and of course, the college basketball women's team has been in the news lately, and it's been quite interesting. I mm-hmm. loved a lot of it, so i've been arguing with my friend and he continues to defend that our society is not valuing the women less it's that they work so much less so it's they they work they don't work as hard.
1: Do they not work as hard? Do they not play as many games and stuff?
7: <laughs> they don't play as many games, from what I understand. They don't play as many games. They're not as many teams, but I don't even try and place build my argument on that. I try and build my argument on the fact that it's the compensation package. The men get like something like fifty percent of all of the profits from mm-hmm. the games they play. The women get fifty percent of the incremental and the way it was explained is they have to make a certain amount of money before they start getting that. Like if they don't, if they don't average more than what they made last year or last season, then they're then they're not getting compensated at that fifty percent mark. They're getting compensated mm-hmm. at like a thirty percent mark. And my argument is like, so they're doing the same training, they're they're playing the same game. It may not. And his his whole argument is that oh they're not bringing in enough money. And I'm trying to figure out why people focus on the profitability of it like it doesn't necessarily have to be profitable just to pay them in the same way does that make sense Am yeah I no that makes
1: sense? sense i mean i don't know enough about the e- economics of leagues i do think that there are probably some base costs um mm-hmm. you know stadiums and keeping the lights on and trainers and clothes you know baseline costs mm-hmm. so that like the you know me saying, um, if I have a ton of money, I can say you get half, but as if I have less money and I still have my baseline costs, then it might mean that we like split half over the baseline costs or else I'm not getting anything like, like for, you know, like I have this podcast, I have a producer, I used to have a co-host and we split you know, the, the salary of the producer. But if I were to have a co-host now, I, you know, the podcast makes less than it did back then. Then there would have to be a new, like, it wouldn't be able to do, just be like down the middle. We'd have to factor in, okay, well, we have to do some little math here because there's some, the costs just to keep the lights on are what they are. So outside of that, I think that you're right about the, um, the payment structure over a certain amount, that's probably, that's probably right. But if NBA play, if the WNBA players getting half of all earnings meant that there wasn't enough money to like keep the league going, that's the only reason I would, would argue that, you know, having a different funding structure makes sense, but like, you you know, I, 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 my under I think the WNBA isn't as good example as women's soccer. I think the women's soccer folks have a much stronger claim because unlike the WNBA women's soccer is more popular and watched more is my understanding the men's soccer and they're still not getting paid as much as the men's soccer players.
7: Mm-hmm. So, and I we, I brought that up before as well. And yet, I guess maybe I'm asking too much uh, self-awareness at this point for the person that I've been talking with. It's like it, you, so you can see the parallel in women's soccer because he will, he will concede that they do work harder. They do play harder. They should get paid more However, they don't. And it's like, well, you. so do you not see how that translates to how we have a patriarchal society that is, well, one, trying to protect women in certain ways and how that is backfiring those those antiquated ideals that women necessarily need complete and utter protection. I mean, there are definitely ways in which they do because there's, there's privilege that they don't have, understandable, but you do get that we are valuing them less by not simply giving them the, like you said earlier fairness ensuring that you don't have an advantage just because you are a man or just because you are a woman so i'm, I'm guessing i'm just not making that, that that argument clear enough for him but that's all i had today thank you
1: yeah no thank you those are some interesting questions i you know it sounds to me like we really got to get some more sports knowing people around to talk up to it speak to a number of issues here if anyone has any recommendations for sports knowers <laughs> particularly like? Women's sports, trans women in sports, people who have like scientific expertise in like, um, sports science expertise and all of that. Um, that could be very cool. Thanks for calling in. Um, Jay, I'm back to the front. No, I'm, was that a front one or a middle one? I think that was a front one. Now I'm jumping around, right? And I'm supposed to jump. So let me jump. Uh, BK. I saw someone request that I call on you. So what's on your mind?
5: Hey Supreme Newscaster. <laughs> you're so silly. <laughs> uh, no, it really is amazing like how um I mean I, I know that uh you're not the biggest fan of Tanahassi coats, but <laughs> I once heard him say that uh people who are paid to talk for a living eventually say something stupid. <laughs> And uh, I feel like I never, I just never see say anything stupid.
1: Oh well, you're not looking close enough. I don't. By the way, I don't dislike Tiny because I actually like him quite a bit. Interpersonally, the one time I met him, I just uh, disagree with him. That's all.
5: Oh yeah, sorry. yeah. I should, <laughs> should be more specific. Um, but yeah. Uh, since Castro Semenya has come up so much, I wanted mm-hmm. to like. I do feel like there's a sexism in making women lower their testosterone to compete where men never have to do that if they have, you know, and also like women have to be, you know, subjected to these uh, examinations in a way that men won't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, the, this book, Beyond Trans by uh, Heath Fogg Davis, I've been thinking a lot about it and it, there's a couple chapters that are specifically about um, <clears throat> competitive sports Um and the other thing I wonder with Castor Semenya, like Inez said, well wasn't that like twenty years ago or whatever. Like yeah. the point was like those people don't really exist. You know, living in small amounts doesn't matter. And uh, I mean we I mean first of all, like one of my favorite comedians of all time says, one percent might sound like it's not a lot until it happens to you. Mm. And we don't know the chilling effect that the treatment of Castor Semenya has had on other women. Mm-hmm. You know, women who, like, we might just easily write off as intersex, but, I mean, I, I, I kind of have a problem even, I mean, I know that definitionally Castor Semenya counts as intersex, but, like, that's not, in a way, that was none of our business. Like, she's just, you know, she was a woman assigned at birth. She says she's, you know. Um, but I've also been thinking about how, uh, because you uh, asked me about if I thought that, like, the medicalization of trans people does some, like, uh, sex crafting. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, like, I, I will concede, <laughs> and, like, I take your point that you have to concede some things to build credibility with people that don't already agree with you. And it's actually not a, not hard at all for me to concede the point that, like, there's a lot of people who, especially like to be on the internet, who seem to jump onto the trans movement, for lack of a better term, um, who are just virtue signaling. And I even felt like my first couple uh, gender doctors um, were those people, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. didn't care at all about me, were very committed to the gender binary, and needed me to say that I felt like I was, um, um, that I, you know, that I was born in the wrong body and all that old school stuff. Mm-hmm. But like the situation was, I was having severe hot flashes. Like I couldn't exist. I needed mm-hmm. hormones, mm-hmm. and so I needed either estrogen or testosterone because that's the remedy for the for you know having hot flashes from losing your ovaries in mm-hmm. your thirties. Mm-hmm. That's what happened to me, right? And mm-hmm. like to me, it seems like I should have been able to just choose as an adult which is right for me. Because honestly, estrogen, like the the fake estrogen, has like, more risks. than mm-hmm. was, You
1: know, estrogen. Mm-hmm. Many yeah. a lawsuit. Yep. Yeah.
5: So, like, why shouldn't I just be able to choose the one with lower risks without having to lie, basically, mm. to a gender doctor who is really only there to brag about her work at a, you know, shit-lib dinner party? Mm-hmm. Um. Like, I'll concede that. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll also concede that I'm really scary that that same doctor, if, you know, if that person is seeing... Um, children who are identifying as trans, you know, is maybe pushing hormone blockers Mm -hmm. in a way that she shouldn't because she's not reading about anything. She's just bragging on Twitter. Right? Mm -hmm. So, look,
1: I I, I really appreciate your testimony here. I'm not going to do something crazy where I take your one anecdotal experience and then go running around the world talking about gender doctors are lying. Like, so everyone be chill. But this is very useful and I think very like honest and forthcoming. And I do wish we lived in a world where I'm about to say some stuff, guys, I'm about to say some stuff. I know the reputation that, all right, everybody gird your loins. I know the reputation that Jesse single has. Okay. I'm fully aware. I also have been listening to Blotting and reported. I've been reading what he's been writing and I do think it's caricatured somewhat okay and you know what you've just described bk like i wish we lived in a world where there could be some acknowledgement i do feel like sometimes jesse got caught up in acknowledging some mistakes that are made someplace some excesses that happen someplace some people who don't handle things right and that gets exploited by a right-wing media that very much wants to shut down any and all access for trans people to have things and that it's very easy to see jesse as a threat or anybody else who might acknowledge that they've been pushed one way or the other in a discrete case that rarely happens, but in a discrete case to, to see how dangerous that is and how easily exploited it is and want to shut down all of that conversation, which is why I think it is like, you know, useful and kind of, you know, brave and a good, a really useful contribution for you to say that BK. I don't want anyone to run crazy with it and say, Oh, now we can't have any transitions because like sometimes people go overly broad. But I do think like I wish the this converse this kind of conversation with this level of nuance could be happening without the implication immediately that you're against trans people having access to whatever care that they need. And maybe we're just not there yet, maybe we're slowly working our way to it. But I I I am interested in if the audience would tolerate it and find it to be useful having someone like Jesse on and having someone like, what did you just say? This person, um, Heath Fogg Davis on, yeah. if people are interested in that. Now, I don't want this to take up, like, all of our lives. There's other stuff going on in the world, obviously. Um, but
5: it is an opportunity to, I, I do think that even when it's not um, involved in, trans, like, even when you're not thinking about trans people, this idea of, like, like, what kind of sexisms are we doing in society? What kind of structures are we, do we have that reinforce sexism? Like, this is an opportunity to... We're kind of accidentally fumbling into that conversation and it feels like we don't have that conversation ever. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope the audience appreciates that part of it because I I know most of us are feminists here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this has been, like, I... They don't like it when I put um, these shows elsewhere. They want um, Colin once used to be exclusive to Colin, but honestly, these last two Collins have been so productive and you lot have been like so good that I kind of want to put like at least maybe some clips on the mainstream. Let me know how you guys feel about that. I obviously, this does feel kind of private and I'm not trying to put anybody on blast by putting them on the mainstream, but like this has just been so effing good.
5: It does feel like um, Twitter. I I don't know, but maybe like like twitter does flatten a lot of nuance and people think people assume like the trans conversation is happening when maybe it's not really because people kind of exhaust their energy somewhere where nuance isn't allowed and then it yeah. never happens anywhere else um, and maybe we can yeah. do like
1: a series i've been thinking about actually starting a sub stack and maybe we can we can find a place that doesn't like disrupt the flow of the um bad faith that we can keep paying attention to all the many things that are going on in the world, but just have a space where we can keep working this 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 issue through, because like it or not, it has become this political volleyball, and I think the left does need a little bit of organization on how we're talking about these things,
5: so I'm very grateful to you, BK, oh, and all you of you. Sorry? Do you want me to shut up there? I was trying to read the tone. <laughs>
1: Not at all. I mean, I, I do have to wrap. I'm sorry. We're at two hours, and my mom's uh, coming up, so I do have to wrap and let her in. Um, again, I feel like we could go on forever. This um, chat is so long. There's so many people in the queue, and I want to talk to all of you. Ugh. We'll see if I, maybe I'll do a live stream. I don't know. Ugh. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna figure it out. But um, thank you again. Uh, I really this has been so i feel so good like this feels i feel like i have worked through a lot personally that i've been struggling with and i could have done it without you so thank you i will see you next week on monday keep the faith
0: I wish I was a lion in the tall grass. I wish I had a pilot on a podcast. I wish I had a strong donkey that can holler us and drive with portable speakers playing can bother us scans. I wish, I had a I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million problems. Wish I had a million problems. That we have hit and pinpoint all a million outcomes. I wish I found a genie man I wish them girls they made them shit like beefy man I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV I wish this well had water in it These kids is holding on my pennies. Focused on my wealth, you can hardly wish But I would rather to help a it's like I wish I wish, every time we drive in it feels just like this I wish I wish, every time we like do it it feels just like this I wish, I wish Every time we love and it feels just like this It feels just like this It feels feels I wish I had a time machine Wish I had a better